Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Alyssa, welcome back to the United States, and I believe congratulations are in order. Huge congrats. Second place at your trail race in Spain. You might have to remind myself and our listeners the name of the race and the technicalities of it. I know it was 100 kilometers, but I'm going to let you tell all about it. Yes. Or so hola, Haley. Hola. Yeah. <laughs> Gracias. Yes. So this race is called the Basque Ultra Trail Series or as they like to put on everything, butts, which I'm not sure if they like, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's just different. Right. But like to the Americans, all of my American friends obviously have been like, ha ha ha, this is so funny. You're racing the butts. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It's um, a fantastic name. Yeah. <laughs> what is, do you know the word for butt in Spanish? I don't know, but I'm assuming it's not. Not Wait, Pero is the other kind of butt, right? Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. How did it go? But so it's and then it's so this is a series where over the next four years, they're doing one race per year and you're linking together these four cities that. I should have looked up the history. Sorry, guys. I think like an explorer type of person in history <laughs> or maybe like a historical figure at one point made this route to connect the cities and he like went over the mountains and stuff to do this. And it took him, I want to say like five days or between four and five days or something like that. So they broke it up into four sections and we did the first one, which is from Bilbao to Gastes, which is 110 kilometers. And this one's in February. So for the next four or three years following this, they'll have the other three races and they're kind of at different times throughout the year. So it's actually like a super cool idea. I really like it. And they start at midnight. So that was a little bit unique. And it was such an adventure. I got to see the most beautiful sunrise I have ever seen though, Haley. So check that one off the list because after, however, the sun rises, I found out at 8 a.m. there. So, which is late. Like, I don't know what time the sun's coming up in Bozeman, but yeah. So we're getting it around that time too. So all of a sudden I was like, 
oh my goodness, we're going to be in the dark for actually quite a while today. Yeah, so that's eight hours in the dark. Yeah. When they start. I do, okay, I know you're probably going to get into this, but the day before, like, do you change your eating or like, and you're sleeping? Like, did you try to sleep during the day? Did you try to like eat breakfast food at night? Like, yeah, like- I mean, the entire thing was really, really kind of a crapshoot really because a midnight race without having to change six hours of a time change would be pretty difficult. Right. So then adding in the six hour time difference. So Bilbao is six hours ahead of where I am here on the East coast. And so my game plan, I flew Wednesday night, basically like a red eye Wednesday night. So I got to Bilbao Thursday, late morning. And then I slept as much as I could early on the flights. And then I made myself stay awake until about like seven or eight on Thursday. And then my plan was to like sleep a solid eight hours and then get up around 5 a.m. So if not, like, you know, if I was up earlier, that would be fine. But so then I slept through that night, but that I was hoping would leave me like still a little bit tired because I did. I wanted to sleep a little bit Friday night before the race start. So I was actually staying. I had like by chance picked this hotel that was literally the the start of the race was out the doorstep, which was amazing. So I slept. I tried to like, you know, get in bed around five and I was like, okay, I'll get up around 5 PM. Okay. Yeah. With a midnight start. So this is like before the race. Yeah. So we're talking. Yeah. And so, yeah. Okay. I was hoping that I could get like four and a half hours. Right. So I usually get up two and a half hours before a race to like start eating breakfast. So I was like, okay, I'll get up at nine 30 and start doing my like pre-race routine kind of thing. And I don't think I had like great sleep, but I stayed in bed for four and a half hours and I was kind of dozing in and out. Like it wasn't terrible. And I definitely like, I, I bring a little like noise machine and like my eye mask and I'm just like full on sleep mode. So you know, with like the blackout curtains, you can kind of convince yourself of that. Right. And then, and they, the Spanish love, I learned like a late afternoon, 3 PM ish lunch. And it's like a big lunch. Like all the restaurants, they have this thing, like a daily menu. And so you go and you get basically like a three course meal. It's like a little, it's not like huge, but it's a lot of food I thought. And so that kind of puts you in the, the like feeling that it's later than it was anyway. So getting into bed at that point wasn't too hard. So, okay. And then I guess in also in that kind of a race, like everyone's in the same boat, like a midnight race isn't usual, right? I mean, is that, is that typical in in Europe for trail runs? Well, I don't, honestly, I don't know. (laughs) They just started whatever. Um, I've watched the Barkley, uh, documentary. He just blows that controversial, whatever, or the conk, whatever shell. I think UTMB starts at like 6 PM or 8 PM. I don't think that's quite midnight. Um, so I think I do want to say like maybe the longer races have kind of a tendency to start later. And I don't know if that's because of logistically, it's easier to have you run through some of the towns like in the middle of the night and not make such like a fuss kind of as the race is coming through. You know, I honestly, I kind of like it in the sense that you get the darkness out of the way when you're still pretty fresh. Like the Europeans are definitely very into safety with the trail running. And so Um, like, I don't know if that is kind of just their consideration there, if it's just safer to have people in the dark when they're not as tired and they're a little bit more aware of everything. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I do still think midnight was a little bit off and I did try and do like breakfast beforehand. And I don't know if I would necessarily do that again. Um, that wasn't like my favorite thing, but I did for the first time ever, I actually made myself do a little caffeine, like hiatus going into this trip because I knew the sleep situation was going to be so wacky. I don't usually like deprive myself of caffeine going into races really, but this one I did so that I could have like a morning coffee before the race and like really hopefully get that like jolt of energy for the the midnight start. But I don't know. It was, it, I mean, it, it worked out fine. So that was, you good, had a great race. Yeah. Are, I don't know if there's like a perfect way to do it. Are there people out cheering? Cause I've heard these races in Spain can have like wild spectators like even for like these trail runs even when there are people out in the dark cheering or did they like come out when it was lighter in the day later in the day there were definitely people out at times not like wild crowds by any means but the people in the towns would come out in the the middle of the night though no one was out it was like ghost towns like some dogs came out to like assess what was going on but that was pretty much like the only thing we saw were you running with people or were you by yourself Yeah, I was with this was that was actually pretty unique. I was like typically in an ultra trail race. 
I end up often by myself for hours and hours and it can be pretty soon into the race that like you just don't see another person for a really long time. And I don't know, I guess just pace wise and things I really fit in to, you know, around some people. So there was a group of us that were all kind of like leapfrogging throughout the day. But it was funny because, you know, people knew bits and pieces of English, kind of how I know bits and pieces of Spanish. But we certainly don't know enough to have like a quality conversation or really any banter even when you're running. And so, you know, and I'm not a big talker when I'm racing because I'm usually trying as hard as I possibly can. And so like I I don't have the bandwidth to be like holding a, a real conversation, I guess. But, you know, I'll have some small talk here and there, like, you know, crack a joke or whatever, try and like lighten the mood when it gets hard. And for 15 and a half hours, Haley, it was like, I didn't talk to anyone like while I was running. I mean, there were people at the aid stations and my boyfriend was there at the aid station. So like I would see him, I guess, which was like a nice reprieve. But it was it was crazy to be just like silently running, you know, and I would try and say something to people and they would just look at me confused. And I was like, oh, they have no idea what I'm saying. (laughs) So you did try something new and you did try to use your Spanish because you said that that was the thing you were going to try. We're talking to Rachel Joyce and Dana Platon last week. Um, You said you were going to try that. And I hear, I did hear this from someone else, the the Basque region of Spain, like the Spanish is very unique. It is. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, what we learned in high school. I learned. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think they understand that Spanish. Right. And so that is helpful, I guess. But it was like I it communication was it was not like, you know, a huge hurdle, but it wasn't super, super easy. But going into the aid stations and stuff, I would have to, you know, communicate with them like if I wanted anything and things and like so I would, I mean, I had no choice. It was kind of like the pressure of the race, you know, and it, this has happened to me even racing in like Mexico. It's like all of a sudden I feel more fluent because it's like, I got to get this done. Right. So it's like, I'm going to just say what I think it is and like, hope it's for you the were, best, but you were in your courage zone. Clearly. Yes, exactly. I was like, I, yeah, I had like made that full on leap into the courage zone. <laughs> and what about the race? Cause you were in second, you finished second, but was it a close race? Could you see her? Did you know where you were? Or was it just like, oh, you finished and you found out you were second? Yeah, no. So I did. I knew where I was. So there weren't a ton of women there. And the results, unfortunately, you can't like filter by women. So I honestly have no clue how many women were in the race. There was 205 people total, uh, men and women. But I started out and was with another woman at the front, um, of the race. And then we turned onto the trail and I was ahead of her. So I knew in the beginning that I was leading, but I didn't know, you know, really much more than that. And then about 15 K into the race, she came, like we were on a descent and these descents were quite, quite steep. And I mean, obviously, you know, I've seen a lot of technical trails and like really steep stuff. I thought, but like, I am constantly surprised with what I see. And I always thought I was a good descender, but like now after seeing these people, I was like, man, I have a lot of work that I could do to like get better. And she came flying by me on one of these descents. And so I stayed with her for a little bit, but then at an aid station, I needed to stay a little bit longer to refill some more hydration products. My noon, um, I was definitely not going to sacrifice that just for the sake of, of staying with her. And after that, we, I got updates on her. I think I was about five minutes back through like a little halfway, a little beyond that. And then uh, it appeared like we were climbing about the same. She was just a much more skilled downhill runner, but she, she's quite talented. She's been fourth and fifth at UTMB, uh, in like 2014, 2015. So, and she's like been second at toward against and like very, very hard, good races. So I was super pumped to, to be, you know, racing close to her and able to kind of just see how she, does race, you know, like I was, a, I was really using my trekking poles a lot. She didn't carry any poles. And so, you know, I asked her about that and she, I said, do you ever race with poles? And she said, Oh no, these climbs are short. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, luckily I asked this after the race because I was like, I would have died if you told me that this is a short climb in the race, because I thought the climbs were like, not short. <laughs> um, but I guess in Europe, like you can get those, you know, like two hour climbs like that. She was saying, you know, that steep stuff, but it's like hours of it. So, um, that is just different than, than anything I've seen. So it was cool in that respect. It was fun just to see other terrain and like see how, 
you know, a, a race is always kind of the same, no matter where you are. Right. Like, I think you think that like, it's the, the point of it is still the same. And like, at the end of the day, it's like, the people are all doing the same stuff, whether you're in the U S or you're in Asia or you're in Europe, but it was very, very cool to get to see the sunrise over the mountains in Spain and to get to just run in some different mountains. I, I really enjoyed that. Cool. Well, huge congratulations way to get outside your comfort zone and collect those is five UTMB points, right? Yes. So I'm, I'm on my way. Yep. So five UTMB points in the bank. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So cool. 2020, the path to 2020 is, uh, UTMB 2020, not Tokyo for a slightly different road, (laughs) but, um, for Alyssa is well on its way, but that's no, that's awesome. Well, huge congratulations. It was fun to follow along. They had, they did have decent tracking. Like I, I mean, yeah, people said that it was like pretty good. Yeah. For a race that was in Spain, that was kind of neat. And then I did like the podium picture that you posted and yeah, next year got to go back and get that beret. Okay. But Haley, I do have one question and I'm ho- question. I'm hoping our listeners can help me with this. So the one thing I forgot to anticipate that like threw me for a little bit of a loop was the like European cheek kiss, like, hello, you know, oh. and, or like goodbye or like, you know, instead of shaking hands. So, you know, like I was introduced to the race director before and I like put my hand out to shake and he like, you know, pulls me in for the double cheek kiss. And so I have a lot of questions about this and I've, I just don't think I've ever like asked people before. Right. So like, are you legitimately kissing cheeks or is it like a fake kiss on the cheeks? Right. And then how do you know if it's like the one or the two? And then do you always go to the same side, like one side, like, are you supposed to always go left first? I, I don't know. I think it varies based on country. I know that when I stayed in Brazil for like a really long time, I never hugged and kissed as many people in my life. Like, <laughs> you know, it was crazy because I'm not really a big hugger. And, you know, and it was like, it was, but then by the time I was leaving, I was like hugging, kissing everyone. So I think it's like you adapt kind of quick, but I, I don't know specifically for Spain. And you might have to like ask someone who knows the like Basque region of Spain. Okay, so for all of our listeners who might be familiar with the Basque region, then please write in to uh, the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, or just like tweet at me or send me a message on Instagram or something and let me know what the proper protocol is for that. I would love to know how, how I can do it. So I make sure I'm not looking as awkward as I feel I am every time I have to do it. Did, did you have any slip ups where you kiss someone on the lips? No, I didn't. But like, I mean, every single time I go to do it, I'm just like, this is definitely going to happen like the next time, you know? And so I just try to always like let them lead and then just kind of like, but I don't, I don't, you know, like I don't feel very enthusiastic then. And maybe they're like, oh, she seems hesitant. She's an American and she doesn't want to kiss me, you know? And I'm like, oh no, I just don't know. Like, am I supposed to lay one on you? So again, sometimes I I do use the, like, I'm an American excuse. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. (laughs) You've seen our TV shows. We don't know anything. We don't do anything. We just like eat hamburgers and (laughs) I don't know what else we do, but, um, I can only think of bad things right now, but I think we do some good things anyway. Well, what's been going on in Bozeman Haley, because I'm, yeah. yeah, Like what have you been doing while I was out (laughs) around Spain? I've been slogging through a lot of snow. If there are any skiers listening to our podcast and people who just who really love skiing in a lot of really nice powder, Bozeman is the place to be. We have a ton of snow. It is not necessarily the best place to be training for a triathlon, but I have a pretty good garage. So I'm making it work. And so far, the Corolla, my, my trusty car is is still making it through the oh snow and I made it to the pool this morning and everything's still open luckily but I don't know if this like February is a record or not but I can't remember I mean last year we had a ton of snow but it came more in January and now like our January this year was really mild and then our February has been like killer but I know I, I know a lot of the country has been going through this similar thing so it's not just here but yeah if you like skiing Come, come to Bozeman. There's a lot of great skiing. Haley, <laughs> what's your take ex- on shoveling? Like, do you shovel things when you are training or do you not? Because I have a strict, like no shoveling rule if I can avoid it at all costs while I'm like so, in a training block. 
I love shoveling and I love the way it looks. Like I love having the perfectly clean like sidewalk and driveway and it just makes me feel good. And like these little, I live kind of close to like an elementary school and I like watching the kids, like at least my part of the sidewalk is clear for them by the time they go to school. But technically I pay HOA fees that um, cover like shoveling, but they don't always do the best job. So sometimes I like go back and fix it for them. But when, okay, the other thing that I didn't mention is that it's been really, really cold here, like below zero degrees Fahrenheit. And so my threshold is like, when it gets below zero, I, I'm like, okay, I pay someone to do that. <laughs> like I don't go shovel because it's just too cold. Um, I, I, I love the cold and I love the snow. And sometimes I just, I'm like, oh, it's just about having good, you know, good gloves and a good coat and a good hat and good boots and, you know, putting in some music and going out there and shoveling the snow. But I have my limits. So does Cowboy. He's has his limits too. Poor puppy has been oh, not cowboy. outside a whole lot. Yeah, no, I don't blame <laughs> you. I That's why I live in a heartbreak complex where I don't even have a sidewalk. So if I have to shovel anything, it's to get my car out. And that's why I also have drive a big SUV. So I could just usually just drive out of almost any of the snow that we get around here. So I'm with That's you. nice. Yeah. That is nice. I will say I'm excited about heading to South America next week. So for uh barrel or chase 70.3 so that is kind of getting me through this knowing that i'm headed to the southern hemisphere kind of their late summer um although i think barrel or chase is pretty far south so i don't think it's gonna be warm but it's probably above zero degrees fahrenheit so i think that's fun a safe times. bet yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um uh, i know you mentioned people writing into our mailbag earlier about your uh basque greetings and salutations uh protocol there but do we have any mailbag questions do we have time for mailbag questions i know our mailbag is actually we've been getting a lot of good ones but yeah it's been been pretty active lately we do have time for one mailbag question that we'll chat about here it came in from amanda and she is a beginner triathlete and She's just curious to hear more about our supplement routines. So she wants to know what kind of products we use, multivitamins, pre-workout, post-workout, protein powder, so many choices. How does she choose? Whew. Do you want to start, Haley? This is a big question. I do. I'm excited about this question because I think it is a big question and it's probably going to give, I'm going to give Amanda more information than she wants, but... I was watching or reading something the other day and it was about the food and drug administration and how they have plans to modernize regulation of supplements because right now there isn't much regulation of supplements, which makes supplements kind of scary, right? You don't know what's in it. And, and I think, you know, if supplements, I think I was reading, there's it's like a $40 billion a year industry. There's more than 50,000 supplements out there on the market. So you really have to be careful about what you purchase and, and things that you might not think are supplements are like uh noon hydration, you know, the tabs that you buy when you buy noon hydration, like that is considered a supplement. And so it doesn't have the same you know, requirements from the FDA that buying a piece of chicken might, you know, or something like that, or even buying a Coke would. So I think that you have to be informed. And in the case of noon, we do look for, you know, the informed sport logo that is on their informed choice, informed choice. Oh yeah. Informed choice. Yes. Thank you. Informed choice logo, um, which is on their, you know, on their packaging, which says that, you know, these, products, they go through an additional quality assurance program. I'm testing the product and the raw materials. And that just gives us a little bit more peace of mind that there isn't something really sketchy in there, which could be something bad for our health, or it could be something that could get, you know, be on the water band list that could get us in trouble. That's all really good information to keep in mind as you guys are kind of, and Amanda, as you're like looking at the products just in general that you're using for nutrition and hydration here. My guess is that Amanda, you were also asking kind of about like, well, you said multivitamins, right? So like the vitamins and the other like pill type of supplements that are a dime a dozen. Like if you go to a GNC or a vitamin shop, there's like a whole wall of these things that are like, you should take all of these and it will make you stronger and faster, right? Like, are we using them? And I guess my personal take, that's really the only thing I can speak to. And, you know, like Haley said, I am using a lot of supplements because gels and noon and those things are supplements, right? And I do, I try to 
use that informed choice and certified by sport labeled products. Um, in terms of like vitamins and pills, I take sound probiotics, which are, I think they're certified by sport or informed choice. I don't, I'm not sure exactly which one, but they have one. So I do take that. And then really otherwise, like I take, you know, an iron supplement and that is pretty much it. I'm just, you know, I try and just get a very well-balanced diet. And I think if you're doing that and paying attention to that, I don't think you need to be taking a ton of other things. I also think that like those quote, the boosts and like, you know, advantages that like those other products are giving you odds are that for Amanda, you are not probably at like a point where you need this, like to be putting money into something like that. Right. Like I always tell all my athletes all the time. I'm like, you know what, your time is better spent like swimming, biking and running right now, to be honest, and like eating a well-balanced diet, getting sleep and resting when you need to rest, right? Like those things are so much more important, I think, than any of the supplements that you'll find out there on the market. And, you know, I think there certainly can be products that are, you know, good. And I think as time goes on, like you might come across those, but I, I just can't say enough about how important it is to like really check that informed choice and certified by sport situation for them because it is a big deal. And I think like Haley, you were saying, you know, like it's not really a regulated industry for the most part. And so you have to just be really, really careful because you are responsible for the things that you're taking. And that's honestly, some of that is why I really don't take a lot either because I just don't want to have to question it. And I want to be able to sleep at night and not worry about, you know, is something, you know, what's in there and everything else. So I just try and eat well and get everything that I could need through like fresh foods. Yeah, I think I agree. I I don't take, I mean, like I said, similar to you, the supplements I take are things like noon, um, and sorry, excuse me, gels, you know, that kind of thing that, Hey, you know, it's hard to get through a race without them. But, um, again, even those products, I, I make sure that they have that informed choice or certified by sport logo. And I've had, you know, my mom be like, Hey, try these probiotics. And I was like, I won't, you know, I know the risk is low, but if it doesn't have that logo on there, like I will not take it because it just isn't worth the risk. So I think doing your homework is, you know, if you are going to take something and I know that the website is informed choice.org for informed choice. And I'm sure you could Google certified by sport and, and they'll tell you like what they do and, and, you know, look at, look for those logos because companies, you know, I think that they are pretty, you know, they're pretty well regulated. And, and so you want, you know, your at least your risk is a lot lower. I mean, I don't think there's anything that's zero risk, but your risk is lower. And so definitely keep the mailbag questions coming in iron women podcast at gmail.com, but we'll move on to a couple little housekeeping items before we get into our interviews today. And the first one is that Haley, it is the last day of February because February is always that like short month, right? And so today is the last day of February. So do you know what that means? It's the last day of our Wahoo sweepstakes contest. Last day to enter. So if anyone hasn't entered, you better get to that website right now. Livebyc.com forward slash Wahoo dash sweepstakes. And then the grand prize, I'm sure you guys have all seen this and are like, entering, but you get a kicker, a Wahoo kicker, the desk and the mat to go with it. The first runner up receives an element bolt bundle. And Haley, what, what's in that bolt bundle? I think it is the element bulk, bolt bike computer and then a ticker heart rate monitor and a bolt speed and cadence sensors. I don't have it right in front of me, but they are, it's a great bundle. And I actually, uh, I, um, I have a ticker heart rate monitor and I lent it to a friend. I don't know. Is that weird to lend out heart rate monitors? I don't know. We, yeah, we, yeah. Was, but she has a Wahoo, but she doesn't have a bolt. And she was wondering like if it would work and it synced, like it paired like immediately with her Wahoo app. It was, it was fantastic. It was so much easier than, than either of us expected. And so it was cool to see that, like, you know, the ticker heart rate monitor, it really is an ecosystem of products and it seemed very, very easy. We were, we were nervous, but it was easy. Even just so. using the app, I feel like with the kicker is very, very easy. Like it just turns on and it's ready to go, which is nice. So yeah. everyone should be trying to win their own kicker so that they can train like us in 2019. Yep. And in case you are stuck in the snow, it's great. It's a fantastic product. <laughs> and 
this kind of goes along with the, uh, oh, well, one more housekeeping item. I missed that one. The Outspoken Summit audio. That is uh, anyone who was not able to make it to the summit and would like to relive the magic there. That was the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit last December in Tempe. Tempe. Yeah, it was Tempe, Arizona. I was there. And, um, but now you can go to outspoken, outspokensummit.com. And for $129, you get more than 10 hours of audio, all the keynote speakers, the panels, and more. And it was a fantastic time. There's so much good information, so many legends of the sport um, included in that audio. So if you need something for your indoor trainer rides on your kicker that you just won, definitely splurge on that audio. You won't regret it. Okay. So moving into the bulk of our episode here today, um, this was, you know, a little bit of like my brainchild, I guess I had an idea a month or so ago. And I asked, I talked to Haley. I was like, I think this would be good. And cause you know, we get questions a lot as pros and it's like, Oh, you're sponsored like, or like, Oh, you're a professional. Do you, are you, do you have sponsors? And then like, you can just see the wheels turning in these people's minds when you say like, yes, I have sponsors that like, they think it's like, you know, Serena Williams has sponsors or like, you know, all of these like big type of contracts. And often in our world of triathlon, sponsorship is a whole different ball game. It's evolved so much just through my time in the sport where, you know, as I was starting, um, you know, the, there wasn't like age group teams and stuff like that. Right. So that has like come around since we've been racing. Um, and more and more companies are like now title sponsors of things and they're putting their money more into that and age groupers versus pros. And like the money is just kind of all spread out and it's all this crazy mystical world of sponsorship. Right. And so much so that I was like, I don't even have a lot of answers for the questions that I get sometimes when people are asking me how it all works. But so our idea was to talk to two of our lovely sponsors and get in touch with people there that could answer some of our questions relating to the marketing and sponsorship side of what their company does. So we have two guests coming on today and in separate interviews. So our first interview is with Arielle Knudsen. And Arielle is the director of marketing at Noon, and she's actually been at Noon for seven years. And Haley, can you think of any other marketing professional that you work with at a brand who has been there that long? Maybe has Smash Fest Queen been around for seven years? Has Hillary? Oh, I mean, that's true. <laughs> the yeah, that's true. she's the founder. That's my only one. That's my only one that I can think of. No, it's it's a hard job. And so there it's is- a hard job. And that's just like, there's just so much turnover, right? We see it all the time in terms of like the, yeah, I think, you know, people are just doing different things a lot. And to have one person stay at a company for seven years means a lot or probably says a lot about the company and Arielle herself. So she also, she's an avid age group triathlete herself. I've known her for quite a while, but I'm actually excited. I'm going to meet her for the first time in person, I believe, at uh, smash camp next month, Haley. So that will be exciting. Oh, and did you, I mean, this is not iron women official, but two of our beloved sponsors, noon hydration that you mentioned and smash best queen are running a contest that someone could win a chance to go to smash camp with you and Ariel. Oh my gosh. I think technically the contest is like with Hillary Biscay. <laughs> Not oh, really yeah. Alyssa Gadeski, <laughs> <laughs> but in our world, we can say what we want because it's our podcast. So yes, I will be at the camp. You will be there with me too. But yeah, check out the Smash and Noon Hydration social media. They have links and information posted there and you too could join us and meet Arielle as well in person. And she will tell us all about her dog, which is one of my favorite parts of her Instagram, Tucker or Tux. And because Tux is an Australian shepherd, just like Cowboy. Yes. They're like probably long lost siblings, kind of, not really, but sort of, I consider them that way. But that, that contest, it only goes through March 4th. So people better Correct. get on that. Don't delay. You have a couple more, couple more days, but not many. And so anyway, so let's hear from Arielle first and we will get her take on marketing and sponsorship and pro athletes, age groupers, all of those sorts of questions. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. 
Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Ariel. Welcome to Iron Women. Thanks for coming on. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So sponsorship and the marketing behind companies is sometimes like a mystery to people. So we're hoping that you can help us answer some questions and give our listeners some insight into kind of that side of things from the brand perspective. And you come to us from Noon Hydration. And Noon has made a concerted effort this year to invest in U.S.-based female athletes. Can you tell us a little bit about this and how that came about and why it was such a deliberate decision? Yeah, definitely. I feel lucky to be here and lucky to work at Noon because this is a topic I'm super passionate about personally, Um, supporting women in sport and just like equal access and playing field overall. Um, So a little bit of background on the Noon side. Some of the brand pillars that we've developed over the years are clean product, clean planet, and clean sport. Um, So when we talk about clean product, that's, you know, sourcing the best ingredients, you know, for your body, for your performance. When we talk about clean planet, um, it's making earth conscious choices about the environment and our product and our packaging and clean sport, you know, at a glance, most people think has to do with anti um, performance enhancing drugs. But the way that we actually look at clean sport is about, you know, we've, we've expanded it to really mean equal opportunity and an equal playing field. And, you know, for women in sport, um, and I feel safe saying this being a woman in sport, whether you're racing professionally or just for fun, um, I think we've all felt in a, a disparity in the opportunities that we have. And so whether it's like in triathlon swim start times or Kona slots or just like gender breakdown at an event and feeling, you know, like welcome and, you know, uh, part of the part of the overall experience, you know, it, it can be imbalanced. So, you know, we're really moving forward with clean sport and taking that sort of equal access and equal opportunity really seriously. And so when we looked at our marketing plan moving forward and for the last few years as well, um, we've really tried to make an effort to um, support women in sport. And your recent investments in triathletes kind of had a, a interesting range. We had Sarah True, who was the top American in Kona last year. Of course, the Smash Fest Queen pro team, which includes Alyssa and myself, but then also a rookie pro, Kayla Kobelin. What was, you know, what was the thought process between that range of athletes that you decided to bring on your team? Totally. Um, so, I mean, when we look at sponsoring athletes, it's about more than just the podium. Of course, we want athletes, um, we want to support athletes and enable them to do their best. But for each individual athlete, you know, they're going to have their own goals that they're striving toward. And so for us, it's a little bit less honestly about where an athlete is placing and more about sort of like their passion and what they bring to you know, the sport as well as the community of the sport or community even outside of the sport that they participate in. So when we look at, you know, um, Sarah, when we look at um, the Smash Fest Queen Pros, when we look at Kayla, um, we're sort of looking at each of those relationships and partnerships really individually in terms of like, how can we support those athletes? And then, you know, how can they help Noon? It seems like sponsorships are a constantly evolving game in triathlon, at least since about 2010, when I started getting a little bit more competitive and paying attention to these things, there was a rise of age group teams and things have changed even further with that. So you're actually one of a kind in your position, having been at noon for seven years and seeing the changes through the lens of one brand. Are companies having discussions about the worthwhileness of pros versus amateur athletes? And do you think pros are valuable to your brand? 
Definitely. Um, so when it comes to sponsorship, I mean, in, in the last seven years, I've definitely seen trends lean both ways um, where, you know, companies and you know, companies in our space are leaning more toward professional athletes or leaning more toward amateurs and influencers. And, you know, even since I've been at noon, our approach has been a little bit different, you know, truly based on the resources that we have available to us. But, you know, I think here at noon, at least we've always tried to maintain relationships with both amateur athletes and professional athletes. You know, our, our mission is to help every athlete be, you know, uh, be their own best, um, and PR, whatever a PR is for them, help them get there. And so it, it, it's important to us that we maintain uh, support within professional sports and professional athletes, but there's a space for amateur support as well. And Arielle, when you talk about passion versus place, what is the best way for an athlete to show their passion and to so- show their worth to a brand like Noon? Definitely. Um, so I think that you know, showing passion or showing worth is there's there's a couple of different things there. I mean passion for our brand is something that we look for first and foremost. If you look at most of the partnerships that we hold, whether it's with athletes or with other brands, we really want to be working with individuals who truly use noon, who truly love it, who truly believe in what we're doing as a company, um, because that's, that's the strongest foundation to start from. You know, I don't know if most brands would say that there's a lot of brands I think that probably are consistent with that and probably some that are not. Um, but for us, we really look for those organic relationships um, because we look at sponsorships as more of like a friendship and a partnership and, you know, welcome to the noon family as opposed to a transaction. You know, I think the this, this second piece of the puzzle there is kind of showing us what you do beyond sport. Um, of course, we're, you know, noon, noon is here to keep you hydrated through all of your endeavors, through your training, through your racing. And we want you to be able to do your best. But I think athletes bring a lot to the table outside of their training and racing as well. So every individual has their own thing that they're passionate about outside, outside of their own performance. So that could be coaching. It could be community involvement. It could be being an advocate for a cause. Um, and so what, that's a major factor that we look at with our partnerships is sort of like, what good are you doing? What positive impact are you having beyond your own training and racing? And then I think the, the third piece is, you know, every, every athlete has their own personal brand, this day of crazy social media, you know, everybody is sort of putting their own training and personality out there for others to participate in. And so we look for um, individuals and teams that are consistent with our brand values and our brand mission. So people who are, you know, supportive of others, inclusive in the sport community, and really sort of positive and community oriented are, are pieces to the puzzle that are important to us. So Arielle, speaking of social media, let's talk about like the social media versus the results thing, right? Cause that's something you'll hear a lot of people, especially pros kind of harp on. And I think a lot of us don't know if brands want to see athletes winning in competition or winning at social media. And so it's no secret that these days we can go and find someone or a company that's got, we can like buy followers through that method. Right. So what do like, how do you kind of weigh those two things and are brands smart enough to see when the bots are running accounts for the athletes? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Well, in terms of winning, we want, we want to support individuals and athletes and teams that are winning at social media and at their races in an ideal world. (laughs) But you know, the winning, the winning at races is, is as much about having a story to tell as it is about being on the podium. Um, so that's, you know, when I was talking a little bit earlier about helping each athlete, you know, reach their personal best, that's a story for every athlete to be able to tell. And that's sort that's more how we look at winning than first place or, or podium. It's, you know, are they really striving to be their best? And for each individual that we sponsor, their best, you know, everyone's individual best is, is very, very different. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, when it comes to social media, uh, yes, we do know when bots are running your accounts. <laughs> we know when comments are not from real people on the other side. Um, here at noon, we actually have a, a social media team, a couple of individuals help, and we we see every post that's hashtag noon life that works, you know, engagement on the other side. It's more about being, you know, having engagement than than the likes overall. 
So on the flip side, we often get asked by our listeners of the podcast, or even, you know, I get asked by fans of my own as an athlete, how they can help, you know, how they can, you know, help me by supporting the companies that support me. So what is the best way for a fan to show their appreciation for a company that is sponsoring a pro or a pro team that they, or a podcast that they enjoy? That's a great question. Um, and it's, it's something that's tough because it's really hard for us to track. Like if we don't hear from your fans and your followers and your listeners that they're like, Hey, I heard about noon, um, through iron women, then it's hard for us to know that they did. So, um, you know, I think of course we want them to try the product and purchase it and hopefully recommend it if they like it. But, you know, commenting on, social media posts, um, writing, writing noon an email and saying, Hey, thank you so much for supporting a cause that I also believe in, you know, whether it's, whether it's emailing, tweeting, tagging us, interacting with, um, your social media, because noon, noon follows you guys too. You know, we're, we're aware of sort of the engagement and interaction that's happening. And so making sure that that engagement and interaction is, is public so that we're aware of it, um, really enables us to like expand and increase our support all around. I'm curious to know like what the best kind of marketing proposal you've ever seen come in from an athlete has looked like, you know, cause I've, I've definitely tried to like look at things that will give me quantifiable numbers and people tell you, you have to be able to quantify all these things. And like, have you ever seen something that just blew your mind one way or the other? And you know, what, how was that done? Um, I, you know, I was, I'm not sure that I have a specific proposal in mind to talk about, but I think one of the, one of the coolest components to proposals that we get here at noon is like a personal story about how our product or brand has impacted you. So if somebody is looking for support from noon and they say, Hey, I've been a noon user for several years, and this is how your product and brand has enabled me to, um, you know, race and train and be my absolute best that's a huge, a huge like gold star just because it, it shows that they do have that foundation of, you know, they're, they're already using our product and they already believe in it. Um, so we, we always look for that and, you know, every individual has their own way of sort of telling that story, but that's a, a key component for us for sure is to start off with that sort of organic real partnership. And then, you know, I think speaking of partnerships, the, the other piece is, to sort of show or demonstrate or talk about, have awareness of that this relationship is a partnership. Um, you know, we don't look at contracts with, with athletes and teams as a checklist of responsibilities. Uh, we really want to help support the athlete or the team in organic, real ways. And so as things, um, you know, change throughout the year or change throughout racing schedules or whatever it is, we're always looking for additional opportunities to offer valuable support. And, you know, we want to do that on the other side as well. So for us, at least, you know, do, do we want to show, you know, do we need an athlete to show us that there's value on their side? Absolutely. But I think that we look, we look just as much as, you know, at how many followers do they have as what are they involved in outside of racing? And, you know, some of the kind of like more creative things that we've seen from athletes would include, you know, of course they, they, most athletes include their social media following and I have a website or a blog or, or whatever they do, but what causes are they supporting and where, where might they be able to help educate other athletes or other potential consumers about noon throughout their daily life. Um, so if there's like a, you know, cause they volunteer with that gets, you know, other people, you know, involved in sport, we always, we always look at stuff like that. Do you have any best practices for, you know, maybe someone who's a rookie pro right now or, or looking to go pro in the, in the future? Like how do they get in touch with, with, you know, an athlete manager or with a brand and, if they get a no at the first, you know, the first interaction, when is it okay to ask again? Yeah, the, um, that's a good question as well. I think it's it's a tricky balance because you know, at even at noon, um, and we're not we're not the biggest company. We get a ton of requests from athletes for sponsorship, and you know, we want to be able to sponsor everybody, and that's hard to do. <laughs> There's a lot of athletes out there. Um, so it's, it's a tricky balance, but I think that enthusiasm, enthusiasm and persistence definitely wins out over, you know, taking a backseat approach and being too worried about being annoying or anything like that. You know, I think 
if, if we, if an athlete reaches out and we are unable to support them to start, we'll likely follow them on social media, you know, and if they continue to show enthusiasm and engagement with the brand and they continue to use noon, it's more of a reason for us to continually reconsider, um, next time they do reach out. You know, I think regular updates are, Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is my race race calendar. It's a good way to show interest. But I think that um, social media can be an equally good way to show interest because if you're already using the product and, you know, for example, if an athlete wanted sponsorship from noon and they were regularly posting about or engaging with um, our social handles, we would notice that. Well, a lot of good tips for people to take away. And hopefully everyone was listening when you talked about how to show their appreciation for sponsoring the podcast. But thanks so much, Ariel, for coming on and giving us that insight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. It was great to be here. Haley, I thought it was very interesting what Ariel said that they make a consorted effort to like check, you know, the sincerity with accounts and the, they are aware when people are using bots. That is, that is interesting. The authenticity of, um, your social media accounts, they are paying attention. They have people who are trained to pay attention. No, that is very, very interesting. And I re- you know, it was cool to hear from, from Ariel and just hear about, you know, what's happened happening right now in the noon hydration world and just her take on the sport. But we have another interview, as you mentioned, we are talking to another one of our podcast sponsors and that is. Stacy Perlis from Wahoo Fitness. I guess Wahoo is the official podcast sponsor, not Stacy herself, but she is a fantastic person. And I met her at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit last December. She was actually on the industry panel at the summit presenting. And then we also got to like sit next to each other at a couple different breakout sessions. So I got to know Stacy pretty well. She is the director of finance and administration at Wahoo. She's going to give us her take on, you know, on, on sponsorship right now in triathlon and kind of where she sees things going and what they look for when they are getting proposals and you know what they want in the athletes that they partner with wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to ironman wahoo is with you every pedal stroke every stride and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Stacey. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, thanks, Haley. Excited to be here. So Wahoo Fitness is a cycling company, and historically, we've always heard of cycling as a male-dominated industry. So I was looking at Wahoo's athlete roster, and it seems like the brand supports quite a few female athletes. Um, It included American triathletes, Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, and Sarah True. And of course, we appreciate your support of the Iron Women podcast. Do you feel like Wahoo makes a special effort to stand out in the cycling world as a female-friendly company? I don't think we make like a particularly strong effort to stand out to be female-friendly, quote-unquote, but our goal is to support all athletes becoming the best athletes that they can be. And so we try to ch- we try to sponsor athletes that we feel represents our brand and our consumers, and females are a really important piece of that. So naturally, we try to find balance in the athletes that we sponsor, and that's typically been our, our strategy. I'm just curious too, do you guys have actual, like, does someone bring up during a meeting, you know, like, are we, are, do we have enough women, you know, like, are we making sure to show all of the types of people who want to be doing cycling and triathlon and things like that so that people in the crowd can see themselves in our marketing materials and the professionals we sponsor, et cetera. It absolutely does, especially as we've grown up, you know, when we were, uh, you know, five years ago, just starting, we maybe could hire you know, one athlete. And now that as we're growing, we're able to make sure that we, we, A, our consumer base is growing and B, we want to represent them. And so we do make a special effort that when we do photo shoots, for example, that we have people representing more than just, you know, a, 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 you know, middle-aged man in Lycra on the bike. And so that's an important part, but it crosses not just gender for us, but also sports, right? So it's cycling, it's triathlon, it's cyclocross, it's mountain biking, 
And right, the the world for us is much bigger than just than just you know gender split, but also sports split. And we're trying to represent as many people as we can, even in other sports. Like Sonia Looney, who was one of our first sponsored athletes ever, is a female um, 24-hour world champion mountain bike racer, and she is awesome. Like she like eats, screams, breathes, lives while hooligan, and um, and she's awesome to work with. So so that's really been our strategy all along: is who represents our brand well, and can we can we get them on board? And going along those lines, does social media make sponsoring a specific athlete more attractive? And is there ever a time when you're, you know, thinking, hey, it might make more sense to sponsor an amateur or an amateur team that has a big social media following rather than sponsoring a professional athlete? So, I mean, social media has a component to it, but it's definitely not the component for us. Like I said, what we look for mostly is like who is really genuine and authentic to the brand. We strive to work towards long-term partnerships, not just, you know, one and done type athletes. And ironically, the majority of the athletes that we sponsor have been using our products for long before we brought them on officially. Like Heather Jackson, for example, was training on a kicker for over a year before we signed her. And she one time like posted something and a kicker was in it and we reached out to her and then this whole dialogue began. And by the time we signed her as an athlete, it was like, oh, what can we send you? And she's like, nothing, I have it all already. And and it's like, those are the type of athletes we're looking to sponsor. And, you know, similar to when I was talking about gender split, when it comes to professional versus an amateur team, we do try to support some amateur teams, but not just because of social media, but because we want to support growth in the sport. And, you know, um, a rising tide rises all boats. And so it's important that we spread the love as much as we can. And social media, though, is a great way to to give back from that, right? That's something that every athlete does have to offer, no matter what their statute is, because I mean, everyone is on social media now. And so it's becoming the currency, but it's not what we most look for when selecting our athletes. I think this is one of my favorite questions that we have for you. And I have my paper and pen ready. So I'm excited to hear about the best marketing proposal you have ever seen coming in from an athlete. Like you talked about Heather, just kind of organically that growing, but I'm sure you guys get so many, you know, probably every day they're coming in. So what's, what's your, the one that really stands out to you? Oh gosh. So yeah, we receive a lot of proposals. Um, some are clearly more to put together than others, but I mean, this goes back to what I was talking about, like with the authentic relationship, like that's, those are the ones that really take hold and stick. So like, for example, Sarah true, another one of the very first athletes we sponsored and we sponsored her way back, even before the Rio Olympics. And, um, you know, she continued to use our products and support us over time. And in, you know, return, we were able to support her transition to long course, which I mean, paid off huge for everybody involved this year. I mean, she crushed Kona, but I mean, I think the most authentic proposals are the ones that matter, you know, just getting a blanket PDF. It, it doesn't matter how glossy it is. It's, it's kind of hard for us to engage with that. But the ones that we really start to take hold of is when things are authentic and people honestly love our products and are showing that they love our products. And then maybe we start to engage back with them and this whole dialogue starts to happen because we don't want to just push our products on anyone. Like we, we want you to love it and use it. And if you're not going to do that, like there are tons of other athletes who will. So those are probably the one the the true proposals aren't really proposals that stick. They're like the funny posts that we respond back to or running into someone at a race and start chatting over a cup of coffee about, you know, some workout they did on their kicker or how much they love their element. And I mean, I guess my advice to athletes that are out there, like, how do I stand out? It would be to like, think about the products you love and use today and that make a difference in your training. And if those aren't your sponsors already, like those would be the first companies I would go to and just start engaging with them. Don't, don't just open the door asking for something, right? Like build relationship because then it comes time to ask for something. It's a much easier conversation than a cold call PDF because you're right. We get those 
every single day. Every single day there's an email and there's just only so many hours to respond to all of them. And that kind of does roll into our next question, which was about what kind of expectations athletes should set when they are approaching a company looking for sponsorship. And it sounds like, you know, it is that engagement first, and then that moves on to a bigger relationship is what you're saying. But I am curious as well, in cases that you've heard about, do male athletes really ask for more than female athletes during contract negotiations? Oh gosh, that's hard. In the cases that I've we've dealt with, I would say probably not. But then again, it's hard because I'm going to use a word that's going to get me in trouble, right? Like the different levels of athlete may also be different, right? Like if I'm talking to someone just beginning in the sport of triathlon versus talking to Jan Ferdino, like gender has nothing to do with it. It's, it's going to be what has that person's resume done? And so I don't think it's a gender thing, but I think it's a what is that person's resume and statue in, the, in their respective sports that it matters, because that's where we kind of draw our lines is, is more, do we expect this person to, to podium or do we expect this person to just like be, um, you know, are we taking a shot on them to hope to follow them through their career and our, and the ask that they have and our ask of them is all tailored, of course, around what the price tag may or may not be. And so it sounds like obviously everyone's not seeing the same first year contract, right? So when it comes to that, you know, what are just like realistic expectations? People always, you know, I guess love to assume that like Haley and I are making tons of money on any contract we have. Right. And that's like certainly not the case. So from like an industry perspective, when does salary typically enter a sponsorship agreement with an athlete? I mean, every company is very, very, very different. For us as a like a young company just growing and just starting to dip our toe into the water of, of sponsorships and athletes, for us, the ones that get money are like the top, top, top couple. That's it. Everyone else then tailoring down, there might be maybe, maybe a performance bonus, maybe, but the majority are product, to be perfectly honest. But the way we look at it when all of our contracts, it's not just what can you do for us. We want partners, right? We want someone that we can share your stories, that we can promote your brand, that we can help you at events. And so for us, it's very much a two-way street. Um, I mean, like I said, every single company is different. Every company has a different strategy. But for us, we know that we can... We can give just as much in other ways outside of money, especially when as a growing company, right, cash flow is always, you know, the, the number one thing we have to think about. Our fans, you know, our podcast fans, our individual fans are always asking, you know, how how do they show a brand that they appreciate that that brand sponsoring their favorite pro or their favorite podcast? Does making an effort to send an email or a tweet to the company help? Um. I mean, it would definitely be super cool, but I mean, I think the number one thing I would encourage people to do is like use hashtags, reshare our stuff, reshare your favorites, athlete stuff. Like, you know, we have hashtags that we use, for example, like hashtag while hooligan hashtag in my element that a lot of our athletes use. And we encourage not only our professional athletes, but anyone on a Wahoo product or anyone out there doing what they love and trying to get better to use. And, you know, we share hashtag Wahooligan post across all of our social channels. And we want everyone like tag your partners, tag your tri club, tag your favorite athlete, because it's a great way to get conversation going. And I mean, we love that. So emails are always cool, but hashtags are easy. And so Stacey, this episode is actually going to air Friday, February 28th. So we're recording Thursday. It on- Thursday. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Good Podcast catch. comes out on yes, Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> February 28th, which is the last day to enter our Iron Women podcast and Wahoo Fitness sweepstakes, which the prizes are amazing. It includes a Wahoo kicker, the bolts, and just like tons of stuff for people to get set up for the season ahead of them in 2019 worth over $1,500 in products that you guys are giving away to our listeners. So can you help motivate anyone who hasn't entered yet? And they, the clock is ticking now, quite <laughs> literally. So, you know, why should everyone be throwing their name into the hat for this one? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, first off, our, our products are awesome. Um, the Element Byte Computer is the easiest byte computer to use on the market. It fully integrates with everything you want to be doing from your planned workouts to Strava live segments. And I mean, indoor training, like that's the big dollar item, right? Or a kicker is indoor training is growing rapidly for a number of reasons. It's time efficient, it's safe, and it's it's fun. And if you're indoors still riding on, you know, a, a, an old trainer just spinning, you're probably like rolling your eyes like indoor training is terrible. But that's probably because you've never been on a smart trainer. So this is a great opportunity to win one for free and start writing structured workouts or virtual worlds and um, really improve your cycling skills. I mean, there's a reason that some of the best cyclists and mountain bikers and triathletes in the world train on a kicker and race with an element. So uh, sign up, get your gear for free. Right. And anyone who hasn't entered yet, that website is livefeisty.com forward slash wahoo dash sweepstakes and definitely get those entries in. You only have a couple more hours, but thank you so much, Stacey, for coming on the show today and sharing all of your wisdom. And we'll look forward to uh, announcing the winner of that contest here really soon. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate you having me on. Haley, I thought it was really fun to talk to Stacy after hearing from Ariel because we got to see two, I think, pretty different, you know, approaches and strategies from marketing for these two companies. Yeah, it was obvious that they have slightly different strategies. They're at different points in their, you know, growth as a company, but there were some similarities as well. I think both of them are looking for when they look for athletes to sponsor, they want, they want customers, right? They want athletes who have used their products and enjoyed their products and are able to authentically represent them in their social media, in their day-to-day conversations, you know, that they're, they're fans of the product first. So if anyone is, you know, a newer pro or a veteran pro who's looking for sponsorship, probably being a customer is, is a great place to start. And that's all we have for you this week. Uh, just reminders, you can always write into our mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. This is the last day to enter the Wahoo Fitness Contest. So head to livefeisty.com forward slash Wahoo dash sweepstakes and enter if you haven't already to win a kicker, a desk mat or a element bolt bundle. And you can go to OutspokenSummit.com to download the Outspoken Summit audio now. A nice big package there to relive the magic, as Haley has said. Relive it if you were there or uh, live it for the first time if you missed it. But uh, definitely check that out if you need something to keep you entertained in between Iron Women podcasts. And if you love this podcast and any of our other podcasts, feel free to leave us a rating or review on your app platform of choice. They really do help. And we appreciate your feedback as well. Alyssa, I hope you get some sleep, recover from your race, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks, Haley. I hope the snow gives you a little bit of a reprieve here, but short countdown and you'll be heading to Bariloche. Yes. And then I, I might have to take some of your Spanish chips. I think, although I think uh, Argentinian Spanish is a little bit different. I'm sure it <laughs> so, is, but maybe we can figure out the greeting system for you. So then you'll have that. Yeah, I know. I'll be so prepared with all the right kisses and hugs in Argentina, but uh, I have some time. But anyway, have a great week, Alyssa. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.